Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Prognotes. My name's Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Discipline by King Crimson, and we are celebrating our 20th episode of Prognotes. 20 Hooray. episodes. Hooray! That's, That's awesome. I'm so glad that we hit this. There's so many episodes. It feels like it's, I mean, we've been doing this almost a little over a year now. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah so it's pretty, if it's pretty neat. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. If you've, if, so if you've never listened to our show, uh, what we do is we educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to <laughs> uncover and learn about progressive rock by listening and talking about albums that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. And before we get started, thank you to all of our listeners returning back to the show. Stick around to the end because we have an, a unique opportunity for you at the end of the show. And always, please subscribe to the podcast. You can always be notified when we launch a new episode. What you laughing about? I was just... Well, because I was like commenting and you were just like, uh, yeah, I kind of want to continue with the intro. The yeah, script I kind of want to keep, like, keep going. Yeah. No, no, it's just great. It was just very. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, just, it's, the it's just, uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll just keep, just keep, just keep going. I just keep calling. I'm just gonna, just going to keep, just going to keep talking. Shoot. All right. Anyway, continuing on with the intro. Um, so, <laughs> so discipline is the eighth studio album by the English progressive rock band King Crimson, um, released on September 22nd, 1981. This album was King Crimson's first album following a seven-year hiatus. Um, the only, uh, only the founder, Robert Fripp, and Bill Bruford remained in the band for this record. The rest of the band were American musicians, Adrian Ballou, who was on the guitar and lead vocals, and Tony Levin, playing bass guitar, Chapman Stick, and backing vocals. Um, the album resulted uh, in a little bit more of what people quote online is a, an updated 1980s new wave sound. And we're going to break that down in part of the episode. Um, the version that we're listening to is the 1989 remastered version uh, by Robert Fripp and Tony Arnold. But uh, Drew, why don't we bring you on this part? Uh, what was the public's reception of this album like? We'll just start with what everybody else thought of it before we dive into it ourselves. But um, what did the public have to say about this album? Uh, so in the U.S., it reached number 45 in the U.S. Billboard 200 and number 41 in the U.K. album charts. Um, and I think the fact that they had two American musicians helped them a bit in in the U.S. Uh, yeah. with Adrian Ballou and Tony Levin signing on. I think that actually probably gave them a little bit more um, attention over here in the States. Because as we've talked about in the past, prog rock, um, I, I mean, during its golden years, in the you know late 60s early 70s it definitely had some presence in the u.s depending on if it was a hit you know with i don't know i i instantly go to roundabout by yes I and mean, you know that that really kind of broke them out over here um was was kansas but, was kansas an american are they american mm, i the band kansas? don't think so i should know that I, I'm not but, sure, but like whenever I think of like what Prague was like, maybe around this time, I always think of like Carry On My Wayward Son. Right. You know what I mean? I like that was like. think that they're English though. Really? No, they're American. They're, they're American. American. Okay. I, I was okay. totally wrong. That's what I think <laughs> they, of when I think of like what was going on in America besides Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that during the time that this kind well, of stuff Led Zeppelin was happening. Well, and Led Zeppelin was English. Oh, that's true. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ACDC, I think. ACDC, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. bands like that that were in America. What what were, what was going on in that era? Um, yeah, I think that was what was more popular. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you there. No, you're totally good. Um, but you know, we've mentioned it's kind of more of an English thing. It started out that way, and it kind of evolved. Even when it evolved, it was more of an English thing. Though I think more American bands 
got on that and, and started to gain more notoriety later on. And America yeah. became in, in the Prague field, um, started to develop a bit more. Um, but anyways, um, all that said, the reception was pretty mixed from what I've I've seen. I was surprised um, by that. I remember telling you that earlier on the I mean I think we had a phone call, but I was I was surprised by that because I thought that this record was praised throughout all communities, like rock community, prog community. I thought it was one of those albums that everybody was like raving over. Um I don't know why I had that perception. I don't I, I don't know. Um but it, it surprised me to see that. Well, you know, people who liked King Crimson and what they did, you'll probably hear a lot of them say, I would think, I could be wrong, I could be wrong, but I would think that you would hear a lot of them be excited about this album because it was kind of the comeback album. They had taken a long hiatus of about right. six years. Yeah. And, uh, well, more, right? 74 yeah, seven, was seven red. years. So seven, sorry, yep. my bad. You're good. So about seven years, um, give or take a few months. And so they were probably excited to see some new material be put out and we're curious as to what that would be. Um, but it was pretty mixed. Uh, I saw pitchfork ranked it at number 56 in their list of the top 100 albums of the 1980s. Um, I, I think by and large I've seen on, you know, progressive rock forums, most people liked this. They, yeah. they enjoyed it. Uh, there were definitely, some people who didn't, um, I'll read some quotes from some of them. Cause I'm always, I'm always curious to see Me whatever too. you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Read them. So all, all music, uh, and I wish the website I went to, I couldn't find, um, very many like dates on when it was written for this website. So I didn't know when this was written, which is always something to keep in mind as well. Sure. Whenever you're breaking down reviews and everything is, right. like, you know, contextual uh, historical context is what I mean. Uh, they, all music gave it a 4.5 out of five, which is pretty nice. Um, it's very nice actually. Yeah, most definitely. Um, here's what they say. Combining the futuristic guitar of Adrian Ballou with the textured guitar of Fripp doesn't sound like it would work on paper, but the pairing of these two originals worked out magically. Um, another, uh, quote said many crimson fans, sorry, many crimson fans considered this album, one of their best right up there within the court of the crimson King. It's easy to understand why after you hear the inspired performances by this hungry new version of the band. Um, and I have to agree now for me, I, I just, I'll go ahead and, and put this in here and we'll get more into this later, uh, with our, what we thought personally, you and me, Dustin, but I thought I'd slip in here right after this quote, because that that's what it is to me. King crimson to me is in the court of the crimson King and discipline. Mm. That's what the band is to me primarily. Yeah. Um, it's probably not fair to, you know, put them in such a small box of just two albums, considering they have dozens upon dozens of albums they've released. And even they've more released. live albums. Yeah. They've got a crazy amount of material that they put out. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of material on some other records that's, that's pretty good. But these two albums to me are the most significant easily. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so anyways, so uh just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. We can talk more about that later. I would agree with um, you. I'll give you uh uh another another positive review. I'll go ahead and do that. Uh Sputnik music. Uh give it a four point five out of five as well. Same score as the other website. Uh and the user rating, the user rating of the people who on the website said it was four point two out of five. So close to 4.5. Uh, I think there's still, it's a general consensus that this was 
you know, four, at least four, um, yeah. if not higher out of five, uh, which is a pretty great score. Um, it's hard to get that five out of five. Um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> discipline. Uh, here's what they say. Discipline has even been criticized, criticized as a talking heads ripoff by some. While the influence is obvious, especially in Baloo's David Byrne-esque vocal acrobatics and increased use of uh, increased use of electronic devices, Fripp self-invented Rippertronics, which we can talk about more mm-hmm. later, the main comparisons stop there. Discipline is, luckily, still very much a King Crimson record, and the darker sounds and typical charisma, quirkiness, and innovation of the group's first decade are very prominent still. So this person was kind of countering some other arguments of people who were saying that it was just, just a, rip a rip off, off yeah. of the talking heads. Um, cause Baloo's influence is pretty prevalent in this record, which is great. Yeah. I think because Baloo, Baloo sound. Came, Adrian Baloo came from, um, talking heads. Is that right? Talking heads yeah. and a couple of different bands. I mean, he, he, he had been around the block with a lot of different, uh, musicians. I think he actually worked with Bowie for a bit too. Really? Um, and, and even Frank Zappa. Yeah. If I'm not so this mistaken. guy had a pretty good resume uh, coming up into the band. He, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, because he was, he pushed, he pushed the envelope and you know, Zappa pushed the envelope and so did Bowie. Bowie is a, is a huge pop culture icon. But, uh, what's great about Bowie is that, um, you know, even though I'm not the hugest fan of him, Bowie pushed the envelope both musically and aesthetically. Yeah you know, the image of, of what glam pop was and glam rock and all that stuff. And, and also just, yeah, his music was, it pushed the envelope. It was different. Yeah. Um, and so I can see where, where Baloo would be, maybe his influence would, would be on there because Baloo liked to, um, to do that too, especially with the sound of his guitar. He didn't typically play power chords or anything like that, or even standard blues. Uh, you know, he manipulated, he tried to really manipulate the sound of a guitar and used it in a, in a fairly unconventional way. And you can hear that on most, this record most too. Most definitely. On Discipline. Yeah. I mean, and even in the, so, the um, first one, the first album on the track or first album on the track, first track on the album being uh, elephant talk, mm-hmm. you know, just that, that, and, right. and um, which we can start talking a little bit more about the music. I'll play it in the background <laughs> for everybody, um, which is the, uh, oh, the track. opening track in the album. So the, the way that this album is structured is uh, that it's, it's seven songs. Uh, none of them go over like nine minutes. Uh, I think the longest song in the album is The Sheltering Sky, which is it's about eight minutes and 24 seconds. But all the other ones are, are pretty concise. Um, so we're not getting too crazy from a, a length perspective in the prog world. Um, but we open the album with Elephant Talk, which is what we're listening to now. Again, then goes to Frame by Frame, which was the song that we opened the album with, or opened the show with. And then we have uh, Mate Kudasai, Indiscipline, Thela Hujinji, The Sheltering Sky, Indiscipline. Um, we're gonna break down uh, most of the songs. Uh, we're, we're just gonna we're gonna talk through a couple of them because there's a lot of different stuff going on in each song. Would you agree, Drew? Answers, articulate announcements. Yeah. Sorry. So we're, he'll he'll agree. Yes, he'll agree. I would agree. <laughs> He's gonna agree with me. So we're gonna move on. Uh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Shoot. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So that part of part of what. You were talking about just a second ago with Adrian, and we can, I guess we could just kind of uh, maybe talk a little bit about um, stuff with Frame by Frame and Elephant Talk at the same time. So, uh, what do you want to just personal opinion? What's what? I do. Get, let me let me give the negative uh, response. Oh, you have a negative this. response to the, um, to the album as a whole? The, oh, yeah. Yeah, to, well, not me personally, but yeah, I just wanted to give some of the complaints people had. Like I had briefly mentioned in that that positive review someone countering the attack that it was yeah. too new wavish this this person says this um 
I looked on Prague Archives, which is a very interesting and very useful website for anyone delving into Prague Rock, because uh, it has just so much information yeah. on there, and they categorize it really well. Um, the user rating on that was still pretty high. It was still pretty high. That one was 4.1 out of 5 on, on Prague Archives. However, you can, yeah, it's still good, but you're able to see a bunch of different reviews. Now, some of these are pretty dated. Um, granted, this album's older, so... Anyways, I always find it interesting to know when this was written. I'm pretty sure this one was written back in like 2004, this review of whoever this this user is. Um, it's uh, Sean Train, I think, from Prague Folk. Okay. Uh, and they have some people on the forum who are like, like, they're given that title of like, they work with us a lot and they actually write for a reputable gotcha. source or something. So anyways, I think this is one of them. He, he, he's from a thing called Prague Folk. Um, I don't know what kind of uh, publishing that is, if it's, uh, uh, you know, a newspaper or not newspaper you know a, a magazine or a periodical or something like that but um he said this version of crimson is definitely too poppy for me and even sounds too new wavish to these ears i truly believe that a real classic or a masterpiece prog album should have a timeless quality timeless sound quality and sadly for crimson this is not the case with this album and the next two um so you know i saw a bunch of things about this where uh, several different sites there was a point of contention coming in with this sound that apparently was new wave and they were like well is this prog or is it new wave i even saw a headline that said um from louder sound said a prog album for talking heads fans or a new wave album for king crimson fans either way discipline sparks interesting debate. either way i guess they probably got um, listeners from both fans of crimson and fans of talking heads i mean yeah. i guess that would be a good thing yeah. for them yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and I think this was a good direction to go for the band because King Crimson had always pushed the envelope. And from what Adrian Ballou was doing with that new wave sound, he was also pushing the envelope. And to add that unique sound into this really, I think, was good for the realm of Prague, but not only Prague. It was great for Fripp. I'm sure he enjoyed working with him because, as we mentioned on the last episode that we did with King Crimson, episode five was in the Court of the Crimson King. We talked about how Fripp had said King Crimson is not just a band name, it's a way of doing things. Yeah. Right? And yep. I think that accurately is reflected in this new lineup. Most definitely. So I would have to agree. It's funny too, because you know, walk watching the live videos of when they were playing in from like night from like nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty two, when they were touring this record, it's funny. There, there's a lot of different videos that I'll mention later on in the episode, but it's so funny watching Fripp because he's he's pretty stoic guy. I mean, he sits down in his in yeah. shows, he plays his parts, and they're amazing, and he's insane. But I remember watching those videos, and and Blue is just like very kind of bombast. He does like this like moving, mo like he's getting ready to box somebody, like he's like jumping yeah, he's up and down. Like and doing this like swaying a little yeah, bit swaying. He's bobbing from side to side he's got like yeah. the pink suit like oversized pink yeah. suit on and so and i yep. just always love watching fripp because he's always <clears throat> watching baloo in some of the in some <laughs> he's, he's like watching Fripp's him at a show himself yeah he's like he's like watching baloo and like has this little smirk on his face you know yeah. so I, ha I have to believe that they worked pretty well together yeah it's fun um, to watch that stuff Anyways, sorry, that was what I, I wanted to say. Just when you, you asked about the reception, it was, yeah. it, was, it was pretty mixed. I think most people, uh, I think most people liked it. I think that was a general consensus on a lot of these sites. You know, you're, you're going to find negative reviews about everything. Nothing's perfect um, to everyone, obviously. But, uh, you know, most of these sites gave it at least a four out of five. Yeah. 
So interesting. That's that's still pretty good. But anyways, so that's what they thought uh, about it. What 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 is your? Uh, we've listened to two songs now. We've listened to the first and the second song. Uh, what if? Why don't we just kind of talk about uh, frame by frame and frame by frame and elephant talk? Like what's uh, what sticks okay. out to you the most? What's what's um, your your general opinion on it? Do you like it? Dislike it? Like what what was what would you like to say about maybe these these sure. first two songs? I, I have a small anecdote about Elephant Talk that I'll get to in just a bit. Okay. Um, but uh, just off the bat, I mean, I love it. I love it. I think it's really out there, but I think it's great. Uh, you know, everything's subjective. Uh, you you never know what you're going to like. You know what I mean? Have you ever had that where someone will be like, you know what? You would love this band. And you're like, how like, do you, you know that? A- you love X y, X, y, and Z, so you're definitely going to love A. Right. Yeah. Or pick your favorite. Right. And then you listen to it and you're like this. I hate, I absolutely hate this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's been several times yeah. with me, either with music or especially TV shows, because people know that I have a wacky sense of humor. So they'll be like, oh, you'd love this comedy. And I'll watch it. I'm like, this this is this is awful. Bad. This is awful. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just <laughs> anyways. Um, so I never know what I'm even going to like, you know, um, until, until you see it. I, I don't know why I like elephant talk. There are some times where things are a little too far out there for me. And this seems like just from an objective sense, from the outside looking in, I'd be like, I, this seems like it might be too out there even for me, but it's not. I freaking love elephant talk. I, yeah. I think it's a terrific song because it's very inventive. It's very new. I love a lot of charisma. Uh, and Adrian Ballou delivers it. tenfold. He brings it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he really brings it. He weird, nutty stuff. Yeah. But I also love Edgar Allan Poe and the sense of insanity and that, that kind of stuff intrigues me. And he almost has kind of an insane <laughs> timbre to his voice yeah. and, and inflection, right? Like that's, that's what I should yeah. say. Inflection and his voice when he's saying a lot of these things, I mean, you know, none of that was sung in elephant talk. None of it was, was sung. Yeah. It was all kind of talk, sing talk. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I think it's a brilliant track. That's the first one that starts off the album. And what an, what an, an interesting, amazing intro. Really new, fresh way to start a new era for this band. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm like, how can you actually play that? They must have had some type of loop for that specifically. Because, you know, it gets to the point where it kind of like almost layers on top yeah. of it. Maybe, you know, that maybe it was a tech. It goes so fast. Or something like that that they put on top it of it. It could have been. Know. But it's really great because it just suddenly stops and then the Chapman stick comes in. And what a new sound. Dude, what, what, what an, a new – What an underused instrument in prog rock. Seriously. Yes. And Tony Levin Dude. is kind of the face that you attach to yeah. it because of, because of this record Let's and just... because of the stuff he had done on stuff with Peter Gabriel. Yep. I don't know many other – I mean I know there are people who can play the Chapman stick. There are you know, you know thousands, millions of amazing musicians, yeah. billions of amazing of musicians in the world – and you know, you know, so many of them can probably play the Chapman Dude, it's, stick. It's right? incredible. I mean, go online and look it up. But, if you haven't, if, if people listening, if you have not seen what seen a Chapman stick or what it looks like played, go online and look it up. It's like YouTube it. Just look at it. It's cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and this this was, but I I can't think of any other face to attach with this instrument. Oh yeah, right. Except Tony Levin, just because he put it in in the realm of pop music. I mean, with Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure he used that on the album. So, so and yep. probably some of other Peter Gabriel's records as yep. well. Um, and so hold on, let's pull it up. I'm gonna listen what, to the intro. Did, but this was, I think, the first time I had noticed it. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Yeah, like that's, it's just a very interesting sound, oh, yeah. and I love it's it. It's great. It's it's and it can it can make brilliant. it can make all kinds of different noises, as well. Like not noises, but it just it has a yeah. It does have it plays bass frequencies, but you can really like pull in some cool like vibrato tones and mixes these slides and stuff like that. It sounds like just really free and fun. It does. It also sounds kind of insane. And that kind of, yeah. I was going to say this album skirts the line between serenity and insanity. Yeah. You can put that as a quote. Let's put that yeah, as a we'll quote. quote you should put that as a promo. Okay. I'll do when, that. When you, when you advertise this, put, make sure it's that section. <laughs> Shoot. No, but I think it skirts the line between ins- serenity and insanity. Tracks like Mate Kudasai and The Sheltering Sky. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But those two are, are pretty soft, beautiful pieces that are very pensive mm-hmm. or somber you know they just kind of have a more relaxed feeling to them yeah and then you have stuff like elephant talk and even thela hunjinjit uh and indiscipline those all sound manic mm-hmm. those all sound kind of insane and what an interesting combination of flavors this album is yeah i, I just want to say that but um frame by frame is also genius um i mean how can you not just really get it's into that riff it's going cool. over and over and you're like He's playing so fast. How can he do yep. that? It's really cool. Um, the whammy bar and the strange guitar yes, fills. Now it's the unique squeals exactly. and stuff like that. It's it's exactly it's very unique. Which goes back to to what I was saying about uh, Adrian Ballou with him using the the guitar in an unconventional way. That's that's all him. Those weirds kind of those weird chords that are being played, yep. and sometimes he'll strike the chord from behind his left hand. Mm-hmm. Right from from the neck rather than near yeah the, you know what is it called the bridge near the, the pickups bridge? or the bridge which is where you would usually strike yeah. the the chord yeah. right he's playing it behind his hand you know sometimes to get those weird tones and you can see that when he plays live yeah uh, Matt Bellamy it's really interesting Matt he's, Bellamy from Muse does that a lot with his with his electronics and stuff like that he does that stuff live too mm-hmm. interesting it's cool um, sound but yeah. Uh, Blue just just added a lot of character to the tone of the guitar. Yeah. Uh, it paired really well with with Fripp's riffs and his arpeggios and stuff like yeah. that. You know, Blue would just add these really really amazing, I would say, ornaments yeah. to it. He's always you been know? noted for his like for his just impressionistic approach to guitar playing. You know what I mean? Like which right. which rather right. than just relying on the uh, the instrumental tones. He was, you know, often, especially on this record, he was he was resembling sound effects or noises uh, made by animals, you know, elephants um, and machines, um, right. you know, stuff like that. Yes, the the elephant sound oh, is super so cool. cool. Yeah, with that little pedal yeah. that he has and stuff like. And I think Frippertronics probably have a lot to do with the overall tone of this of this song, at least for for and probably right. the whole credit is due where the Frippertronics things, which I think was just Robert Fripp's had was just being invented with pedals and stuff like that i may be complete i I think we talked a little bit about that on our fifth episode within the court of the crimson king um but with the guitar fills that's that's something that i that i notice as well is that like ruford's really not doing a whole he's not doing a bunch of like crazy fills at the end of each bar but more so there are these guitar fills which are basically just kind of like hey what sound can we make to put in this section You, you know what i mean 
these weird right, noises right, exactly. and the, the scratching, the pick scrapes sounds like it's just cool. It's it's a uh, very inventive from the guitar perspective, and so it always it yeah. adds it adds so much um, just flavor to it different kinds of stuff going on with the guitar and the melodies right i think this album all the instruments and the vocals and everything blend really well together in a weird way because they're it's weird that it all blends together so well because so many instruments are doing so many different things and you can dissect so many different elements in this album and it's weird that none of them in my opinion i don't think overshadows the other 100 percent, yeah and uh a create like yeah, I, I would agree with you. They have like the way that they, I don't know. It's something that comes to my mind. It's its funny because usually when I'm listening to these songs, I can tell which one's Baloo's part and which one's Fripp. I can normally, right. I can usually tell it's like, oh, that's what Baloo's doing and this is what Fripp is doing. But what right. I also really like as well, it's like a, it's a creative, a creative musical idea or concept. I don't know. I just use idea that I hear sometimes in modern prog is, is that the, um, the doubled, doubled guitar parts except they change the intervals or yeah. uh, and or uh the time signatures so like for instance in frame by frame right blue is playing that seven eight riff um but frip but the frip line on top is of um it's it's it, yeah it's basically the same riff but he's alternating in bars of six and seven but he also keeps the same eighth note value right so that's what it makes it sound so weird it's not it's that that it's not delay they're just playing in different intervals and stuff like that. And that's something I hear a lot in like um are you talking about math the, rock. Uh, are you talking about the Yeah. Yeah. They have that like alternating and the dude didn't get yeah, and he alternates the six and the seven and everything. Um and, and that's something I hear in modern stuff like Porcupine Tree. Um that is uh I've I've heard that on anesthetize, um on that album, as well as like a bunch of modern uh math rock stuff. Right. And stuff like that. I hear I hear that kind of stuff. And I always, whenever I hear that in modern music, I always relate it back to uh, King Crimson because I think they were like the first people who really originated like, hey, changing up those intervals or at least maybe I'm totally off. I Maybe somebody out there has probably done it before. But either way, um, I know. But they're, they're an iconic group that, that did definitely. that and definitely yeah. added their own, yes. their yeah, own flavor to that. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, I want to give us, just give a very small anecdote about elephant talk. Okay, go ahead. Um, this is story time with Drew. Maybe you can add a sound effect and post for that story time with Drew. I, I, I kind of want the children to be like, yay. You know, like I'm reading a book. I don't, I don't have that one on my soundbite. No, no, no. But you can maybe, maybe you can get that later. Okay. And just kind of add it. Maybe so. Okay. So let's, maybe you'll add it in post and just, just like, okay, so here's the title. So story time with Drew. Okay, great. That's the pause that I needed because I just wanted the kids to be like, yay. Okay. Wonderful. All right. (laughs) Um. I was in a history of rock class in college, which would surprise everyone, I know. Uh, And we had this assignment to present a song of our choice to the class and explain some information about it. Well, of course, I wanted to present a prog song uh, because most of the people in there were taking a class because they liked rock music or just music in general. Mm -hmm. And you know, they may not have known about it. And I thought it was interesting and I love Prague. So of course I'm going to do that. That's me. Uh, it was difficult for me. Uh, not only because there are so many songs to choose from, 
but I was also having trouble choosing a song that I thought accurately depicted the genre that was also within the time limit of five minutes. That's so hard. It, yes, because a lot of prog is not within that time that's limit. True. Yeah. Or, or one that, ac- like I just said, accurately depicts it. Or just pick one um, song. Like that's that seems exactly. impossible to me. Well, yeah, and there are so many songs to choose from. So I chose Elephant Talk because it was under that five-minute limit. Um, it's the first track off of this album. And the teacher knew that, you know, what prog was – but I don't think he was a big fan of the genre. <laughs> sure. I mean, hey. He, maybe he was. Maybe he was. I don't know. He but I don't have think signed he was. it if he was going to and expect something he didn't like. Whoa. Yeah, that was something else. Uh, but uh, he, he knew it wasn't a genre that was particularly popular or palatable to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, like. 90 seconds into the song, which is, it's a weird song, right? You typically expect like a rock song to start out like a Def Leppard song or maybe Guns N' Roses sure. or something like that. And this was not that, right? You start out with this weird tone on Chapman stick and then you start hearing, it's only talk, arguments, agreements, answers, advice, articulate announcements. Like, what is this? This yeah. is weird. This is weird and not... <laughs> Not palatable. This doesn't, people don't digest this well sometimes. Mm-hmm. It depends, right? But lots of people don't. And he said, okay, class, um, raise your hand if you if you like this, if you enjoy this. Holy cow. I mean, kids, you not. He said that. And like two people in the group of like 35 meekly raised their hands. Wow. <laughs> the teacher said something along the lines of, yeah, it's um, it's a niche category. Or wow. something like that. That's it was something along crazy. those lines. I don't remember verbatim. But I just think that it's that's funny uh, because it, it just kind of goes to show that like a lot of people were not, you know, may not like this. You know, to a mainstream audience, flipping this on in the car, you know, with a group of friends is, is, is probably not going to be very much of a cloud pleaser. Um, you got to appreciate – you got to appreciate really, really – really good musicians, really good instrumentation, and just an approach um, in a different way in order to really get into this album. Like if, because, yeah. you know, a lot of, the, like yeah. there's like four songs in the record where there's not even singing. It's just spoken word by Adrian. And right. spoken word is not really one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm going to throw this song so I can sing along to it. <laughs> except, exactly. except if you're Drew. So, <laughs> so most people are going to be like, I can't really grasp this because I don't really... Like if he's just going to be chanting and yelling a bunch of stuff in the songs, like I, I there's not that Babble, verbal banter, bicker, 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 brouhaha. Yeah, but anyway, balderdash, ballyhoo. It's only talk. Yeah, so it's um, like what? What am I else? What else am I supposed to grasp in that? Well, and it, it's kind of left up to the instrumentation and everything. Which what's also yeah. great about elephant talk is sorry, did I cut you off? No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say what's also great about Elephant Talk is that I, I love that pattern they take where they're just going through a, a bunch of different words that mean talk in a way and it's all alphabetical. So verse mm-hmm. one is all words that a. start with A and then verse two is B, C, D and so on until it ends with E. Exclamations, editorials, all that stuff. Which also Elephant um, Talk. But uh, – Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can spell. Um, but Shoot. Um <laughs> But, you know, Baloo's vocals seem a little barbaric and chaotic and all that stuff. But it gives a sense of someone shouting words without actual, any actual meaning. Yeah. Like, what's the meaning behind this? 
which is what I think if we're going to go into the lyrical part of this is kind of what it's about. Maybe they just wanted to experiment with that. But I think there's actually some meaning in there where he's he's kind of shouting this stuff as if he has something important to say. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it, there's no actual substance to it. There's no real meaning or sincerity. And I think that's kind of what they're saying Shoot. is that so much Shoot. there's there's a lot of words without any actual meaning that that happens all the time. You know, it just came to my mind and the, fr- the freaking that freaking ted talk of of uh reggie watts oh reggie watts, reggie watts oh, TED talk, just talking shoot. talking a bunch of nonsense like that's what it reminds me of gosh now. reminds me of i that listened right to that there. the other day in my car just so you know yeah um but uh it's it, it's only talk um you know i i i kind of love that <laughs> that so much insanity and like lack of meaning can actually have a little bit of meaning that paradox to it yeah that people talk often without actual having anything significant to say right or actually coming any closer to some sort of solution to a problem in a discussion or a debate or anything so yeah like what we do and, and have been doing for 20 episodes on this show oh shoot <laughs> uh yeah basically yeah i think so put put a laugh track put there a laugh tra- put, oh, put a put a laugh i don't track. have a laugh track I, no no i know but you have to edit it later D- i'm sorry like, this is for live, later dude this is all live no. we'll do it live Put it later. Add later. Shoot. We should probably move um, on to the the other part of the other songs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. That'd be nice. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this on in the background because I, well, this is Mate Kudasai, uh, which which we've been talking about all this like crazy insanity and stuff like that, and this is just the the essence of the the complete opposite of kind of what's been happening so far on the on the first two songs, which has just been like this very very fast riffy stuff and kind of bizarre vocal um stuff i guess you know but i um mate kudasai (laughs) means please wait in japanese for those who who didn't know this is probably my favorite on the record i don't know about you but um i'm not gonna answer that cool um no no comment uh no this is a fantastic track it's it's a beautiful piece I, i love i love like I love Bruford's usage of the subtle hi-hat. And I'm a massive fan of the guitar tones in this song, the clean arpeggios. Best vocal melody on the record, too. Like, by far. The intro seagull sound with the guitar that I think probably Adrian does is brilliantly done. Um, But one thing I I wanted to talk about a little bit was the rhythm section on on this entire record. Because I, it, I, it's unique and unlike anything else that I've ever heard. The, the combination of Bruford and Tony Levin and the way Bruford approaches and the way Tony Levin plays and everything, it's, it's phenomenal. And unlike anything I've heard in the 80s, 90s, like now, it, it, anything. And so, I, th- I mean, Bruford just adds these small little embellishments um, he throws like these like simple 16th note bass drum hits before the snare lands on the backbeat. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. He does that stuff. And, like the snare sound has always stuck out to me. Um, I actually found online. Um, hold on, let me find the note on this. I actually found online that in the early days before they had drum mics, he would fire rim shots, um, which is just hitting the snare. If people don't know, it's just hitting the snare with not just the tip of the stick, but also the shaft of the stick. So it would land on the rim as well to give this crack like a little bit of louder sound. And uh, with the snare, uh, the snare had tuned fairly tight and it would produce a more ring 
to compete with the band's amplifiers. It was just, you know, the necessity huh. was the the invention of that. Um, just the paradiddles right. that he would do, the rudiments are, are impeccable. He would do these displacement of the backbeat, which always made his drumming super colorful. Um, but he's also, one thing he's greatly known for, and I'm a drummer, so I nerd out over this, is his symmetrical drum kit, which gave him this quote, this makes for some nice combinations and interesting phrasing, end quote. But even beyond that, in my personal opinion, his drum kit at this point in his career, uh, yeah, his yeah, that's that's right. His drum kit at this point in his career were electronic drums with some rototoms and cymbals. Um, and he was using yeah. like, oh, was he using the Simmons V, the SDSV drum synth? Either way, that's that's <clears throat> I think that's right. Um, which was released the year that this came out, 1981. Um, so I know that he was using that drum synth, which is brand new. Um, and um, I just love the way he approaches and then the combination with him. And, and they also have like, he has these like rototom grooves. Like he's not really hitting like a cymbal. Like most of the time when you hear these groove, hear like, you know, drums, you're thinking that, oh, we got like a hi-hat, bass drum, snare, or ride ride bell bass drum snare but he's like playing these rototoms especially i mean on, on a couple of different of the songs like frame by frame elephant talk thela hujinjit a lot of them and um it's it's just it's really interesting new fresh i've never heard anybody else do it in the words of robert fripp i found this little quote by him drew which i think i find is is pretty interesting he says bill is a jazz musician with the discipline of a classical musician and the creativity of a freelancer yeah that's nice i like that I thought that summed up Bill well, Bruford pretty and we had well. talked about Bruford on the Yes episode and everything. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, he's probably my favorite drummer. I mean, he's just – Bruford's Bruford. He's yeah. just insane. And, I mean, just with, like, yeah. with the other King Crimson and what we've talked about with Prague in general, I mean, this album also um, – it, it just – you know, the virtuosity is right out in front. Every single member you can tell is incredibly yep. talented um, and inventive with, with their instrument. and uh, That's just great. Yeah. And then pair and then pair him up with the freaking Chapman stick and Tony yeah, Levin. Like exactly. th- those two musicians alone make this album such a new experience. Right, exactly. Just them alone. And then you add the nuttiness of Adrian and then just the skill of Robert Fripp. And you just get something really cool. You get discipline. That's what you right. get. That's 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 like the four combinations that you get. But um I wanted to go into the the uh the interpretation of Mate Kudasai on, on the lyrics. Sure. Do you have any? Do you have anything on the lyrics of this? No, I'd love to see um, what you you found. I think that's great. I have. I found. A, I found a couple of things. A. Um, I found an interpretation online that I uh, thought was really um, poignant. But he he said this strikes me as a story of longing of a Japanese woman who has traveled to a U to the USA on a long business trip separating her from her partner back home. She sits in the chair of her hotel room at night, gazing out at the window over a bleak, rainy, foreign city. She wishes she wishes she could be back home or have her partner with her, but knows she can't and just has to sit out, sit it out until they can reunite. Deep down, she fears that maybe it will be too long. Maybe it won't. Please wait. Yeah. And uh, and that which is please wait means not to criticize. <laughs> so I, I really like this song and it, and it sits at like three minutes and 49 seconds and i could see this song be on the radio i mean my fiance hannah who isn't like a massive prog lover like she really likes this song too um so i i have a i want to ask you this because i i had a thought and i wrote this down in my in my phone 
as I was listening to the song. Do you think do you think the prog quote label of King Crimson has prevented a wider audience to hear this song? Like like it being labeled as prog has prevented people. Yeah. The well the King not maybe not this song or this album, but King Crimson has definitely been labeled as Right, right. You, you know, they as prog. So I was I was thinking about this and I was like, I don't know what more people would like this song if they heard it. I know that they would because it's I just I just yeah, it, you know, it has a lot of elements that a lot of people would like, especially the radio and stuff like that. So I was thinking is like do you think that maybe the prog label of King Crimson um possibly hindered them in in having this song reach a, a wider audience? Um a wider audience uh it's that's an interesting question. Um, Martin mm-hmm. wants to say yes, that, um, you know, because Prague has also been associated with um, album groups. You know what I mean? Like, like right. uh, I, I heard Phil Collins use that, that phrase on an interview once. He was like, you know, yes was an album group. That's what he called them. And that term is really interesting. Like not releasing singles. Right, which they did. Like, it was just, like not that. true. I mean, I mean, they did release singles. Um, you know, a couple of these prog bands did for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. but they were also weird. I mean, you know, you hear some of the stuff that they did after in the court of the Crimson King and out of, after in the wake of Poseidon, some of the stuff on Lark's tongue and Aspic, which is uh, an early King Crimson record along with, uh, you know, islands and lizard. It's just weird stuff. Weird. I mean, stuff stuff that's like, like I said, some stuff is too out there for me. And that, that, that is, um, Yeah, it could have been that, that Prague had been labeled that. But also, I'm just trying to think of this music in and of itself if a lot of other people would like it because I think it's beautiful. Um, But it's not something that you're going to turn on at a party. And if you listen to it in the background, maybe it would catch your attention with those interesting bird-like sounds that they make with a guitar. But um, maybe not. I don't know. I just just, think about the other music that I hear people listen to uh, you know, when I'm out and about and what I ask people what they like. And I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting this question. Song... I mean, it came to my mind because it was like a, everything, there's a lot of stuff that was out there, but this one just pokes out as like, I don't know. It's weird to say normal. Right. But do you understand what I'm saying? Right. But it has some type of um, elemental, I don't know if I want to say, poignancy or something like that just this kind of melancholy that mm-hmm. um oh i would i would agree with that word that, melancholy that that maybe can relate to a lot of people on a fundamental level just that music kind of puts you there um but at the same time i don't know maybe people just don't want to feel that way maybe it's not exciting enough for them it doesn't have a good enough of a beat it's not as strong because a lot of people um what it you know marcus marcus warner the guy um who produced both of our records he's a genius mm-hmm. by the way um he he had said he said you know the first thing that people really grab onto when they listen to any song it's always the beat it's always the, the beat. beat yeah and this doesn't have a strong yeah. beat because it's more atmospheric the drums are very light in here And so maybe it just wouldn't grab people because of that that's not to say that people don't appreciate it and that a lot you know people who haven't heard this would hear it and wouldn't like it because they might. Um, but a lot of people music is something in the background and I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate anyone by saying that, 
it's just the way it is because I know some people think that way. My teacher in, in high school, my physics teacher in high school, he knew I was a big music guy. And I was like, well, what music do you like? He goes, honestly, music to me is just kind of noise. And he says, I, I don't dislike it particularly, but I also don't have to hear it. It's just something else. It, you know, he had that kind of attitude about it Yeah. Um, to music in general. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting off topic here. Um Maybe that's an interesting I, question. I, I appreciate it, but uh, shoot, yeah, I'm sorry. I see what you did there. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's we can move it's on. Hard to say. We can. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, I think the prog label. I will give an answer at the end. I'll give the short answer right now. Yes, I think prog can bar people from listening to it. One because it's sometimes can come off as pretentious if you have heard of this genre, and two. Most people don't know what this genre is or who this band is. and Or are willing to go into all of King Crimson's catalog and pick out the one to three songs right. that are palatable enough for them. Right. Exactly. So, yes. Uh, in yeah. short, yes. But that opens up a big discussion yeah. that I went too long into. Anyways, continue. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Which is, which is fine. No, we're good. I mean, we're, we're, we're still set on here. We're still doing our um, job. We're still doing our thing here. Let's move on to... Um, <laughs> Indiscipline. Indiscipline. The, the, the lyrics or spoken word. I want whatever, I want to join in so it, bad it with this. Begs, it begs to be picked apart in this song. So what I the whole, it, I just I, let, let me let me just tell let me tell you something. All right, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna That's, wait. you know what that sounded like? That sounded like an ESPN sports guy who was getting really frustrated with his co-host because Shoot. he was saying that that this team was going to win the football game, but he had disagreed. And he and I okay, let me let me just tell you. Shoot, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say what I read on a uh, very briefly was that this was apparently the lyrics were written based on Baloo's thoughts about his, his. He had a wife at the time who had made a sculpture. And these are his thoughts about the sculpture. Okay, I, I got, I got two different interpretations that I found that because hold on, when it gets to the lyrics, I want to bump it up. All right, let me let me pull it up here. Oh wait, no, we still got it. We still got some time, do we? Oh, they're no, coming we in right now. I do. I do remember one thing. thing. It took hours and hours. It took hours and hours. And by the time I was done with it, with it I was so involved. I was so involved. I didn't know what, what to think. think. I carried it around, around with me for days and days, days playing little games, like like not looking, looking at, at it for a whole day, day. And, then and then looking at it, looking at it. To see, see if I still liked, liked it. it. I did. Oh. <laughs> Interesting, right? I love that. I mean, you know, my, my, my dad, who turned me on to this record several times, I mean, it's not infrequent that we'll just go, I did. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, like, I, okay, let me, let me give you the two interpretations that I found. One, and I, I want to ask you which one do you think fits more? Um, because I found, because I was looking up, when I was looking up the, the, um, the, I guess you could say the, the lyrical inspiration or what the, the, the meaning of the lyrics are, 
you know, I found exactly what you found, which was like the, what is his wife, his, his then wife, uh, Margaret, I think it was a sculpture or something that she made. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Okay, so two interpretations I found. First one being that the song is about the youthful glee of discovering something new and being so obsessed with it that it invades your every thought. And, and the backing of this is that I found a Crimson video from Japan in 1983 where they performed this song. He picks up the guitar in the, while, he was, while he was doing this. He was picking up his guitar and stares at it, turns it over in his hands sing, while singing the lyrics. So I was like, okay, his focus is definitely on the guitars. Maybe he was like his, you know, uh, being obsessed with the guitar was kind of the interpretation. So that was one that I found, and I, I found some stuff to back that off with that, with that video. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But then another interpretation is a wager that the song is about pornography. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and so this what this guy said, and I, I honestly kind of lean more towards this way, what he has to say, mainly because, I don't know, maybe because it just sounds like, it just sounds like blue, I don't know. But he says, so the word, okay, so first, the word indiscipline means obviously lack of discipline or bad behavior. Right. Right. So, so he was. So he says in the song, "I was uh, playing little games, like not looking at it for a whole day, and then looking at it to see if I still liked it. I did." And then he says, "I repeat, the more I look at it, the more I like it." Right. So the title indicates he's doing something wrong. And what is he doing? He's obsessed with looking at something, evidently something he shouldn't be looking at. And that guy interpreted that to be pornography. Interesting. What do you think? I like it. Yeah, and it almost, I mean, if we're getting brutally honest here, it kind of has this ejaculatory sound at the end, right? I was almost like, he's releasing, you know. Wow. I Okay, yeah. Right? I, I mean, like it, right? I mean, we're getting real dark here if we if we go down that route. But it's no, interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. I like it. Right? <laughs> right? You want uh, that one more time? I didn't. No, no, no. Um, I like it. Oh, there it was. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's well, I didn't really think of it that that way. And that's that's interesting because I often wondered, okay, why is it called indiscipline? And I why actually is it called indiscipline. I took right. it from a musical standpoint. It almost seems like there's no discipline on any instrument except maybe uh, Tony Levin and Fripp. I think they're keeping that. Yeah. I mean, they with, got all that polymetric crap going on. Like Bruford, the drums and four, it just sounds and, crazy, right? I'm just going to hit, I mean, you know, he's obviously keeping a meter, but he's just hitting a bunch of symbols and he's without, I mean, that's not a fill. It's just these weird. It's just, it's just, what are you doing? It's just complete like lack of discipline. It sounds like it just works. Um, it sounds like a lack of discipline uh, in that sense. So that's what I thought musically, but, you know, message-wise, what they're saying. Very strange. Uh, I wasn't sure, but the pornographic con context is, is very interesting to me. Yeah, uh, I, I leaned more towards that way other than the uh, than the performance of Japan with the being discovering something. I mean, they both make sense. I mean, the context of way that he's talking about it, you know, I, I – I don't think of you know, the it, sculpture it does and everything. Make sense I don't know. The more I think of it in that sense, because the tone of the song, the actual music, yes, the like the, that's the what mood. I'm, that's what I was trying to let say. Me say. Yes, let me say the mood of the song sounds very insane and is very off-putting because there's you know in the background you hear just this very it's creeping in this kind of yeah, on the yeah. guitar in the background. But then the way that the way that Adrian delivers, even just the spoken almost word, like, like sorry, kinda, almost as it's if it's kind that, of like yeah, kind of like this. You it, know, it's really just more of a 
looking at it for a whole right. day. Right, and that it gives this sense of suspense, and in a way, you can almost relate that that suspense to temptation, right? Kind of creeping in to your head. Most definitely, that's a good and word. Good it's, word. It's an off-putting sort of feel, but and then it just yep. gets crazy, right? When he says, "I did," you know, and it's like almost as right. if that moment he's in a state of complete, you know, barbaric ritual in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As it's, if, as if this is just un, yeah, indiscipline, this lack yep. of control, I'm going into my most animalistic form that I can. And then he snaps yep. out of it. And snaps then it's it. just this cycle that he keeps doing. And, you know, that's interesting. That's a really interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was interesting when I found it and I read about it. It was cool. Um, oh, oh, if you haven't, everybody listening, if you haven't already, Go onto YouTube and check out the Vamp solos by Bill Bruford in 2006, as well as the King Crimson live in Mexico City 2017. Go look at those two videos. They they do um, the drummers uh, solo like three on drummers? top of the doom 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 doom. They they Vamp solo on top of that on top of that section. Um, the one in 2006 is just brutally ridiculous um just makes you want to quit playing drums and then the king crimson live in mexico city yes they had they have gavin harrison from the porcupine tree episode um who was playing with them as well as a couple they have three drummers all lined up and it's funny the whole band's just watching them from from behind them while they're playing while they're doing these incredible solos on top of each other trading off check it out it's it's an incredible performance but um getting back to uh, adrian and it, with Elephant talking like the spoken word of uh, of Thela Hojinji, which we're, we're getting ready to listen to just in a second. Oh, yeah. Um, Adrian would sometimes improvise small parts of the dialogue, which later members of the band mm-hmm. never truly attempted the idiosyncratic spoken word by an American from Kentucky. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with that? I mean, when I saw King Crimson um, here in Nashville uh, back in September, um, of, of course, Adrian wasn't with them. Fripp was there, but they had Jacko Jacksick, I think is how you pronounce his name, okay. who was who's doing the vocals. Did a fantastic, fantastic job. Sounds a lot more like Greg Lake than Adrian Ballou, but he he didn't even attempt it. He would sing the vocals of stuff that they were doing from Discipline, which just shows there's no, no there's that there was no doubt adrian blue was just a staple of king crimson in this era right yeah super, very very unique super influential yeah. unique guy who impacted them a lot yeah um no for sure it was really cool it was really cool you want to move on to the next one yeah sure i love this next track it's they groovy love. dude it is i was about to say that because it's just yeah the bass line is cool, so fun I know, dude. There's there's a huge story, so so I guess we should first start with the title, Thela Hujinji. What the frick is that? It is. Do you want me to answer it? Yeah, yeah. I was asking. It's an anagram question. for heat in the jungle. So mixed up, Thela Hun H U N Jinjit. Uh, you mix that phrase up, it is heat in the jungle, and I believe Destin, you enlightened me just a little bit about this beforehand so maybe i should let uh-huh. you you explain it you really well what it. what do you want me to tell people why they called it heat in the jungle how relating that to oh. crime and everything oh yeah 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 yeah. well okay so i have i have two things for this um i'll go through the first one um the first one is that adrian blue has a blog which is fantastic 
And uh, as soon as I found it, I was like, oh, yes. So the first thing here is that there's, you can hear in the background in the song, hopefully, that there is more spoken word. That's surprising. Um, so there's more spoken word of, of something that Adrian Blue is saying. He's saying that he held a gun in his hand, some things that are happening. Um, it sounds like a story, sounds kind of like, yeah, this is a dangerous place and stuff like that. So either way, Adrian Blue wrote a story or wrote about the story in a blog. So um, I'll go ahead and quote here. Mulling over the shooting of John Lennon the previous year, I was hoping to draw a disturbing lyrical picture of someone who had been molested by someone with a gun now being interviewed and questioned about it, um, which is which is that hence the working title Heat in the Jungle. Um, all I had written to that point were phrases a person might say. He held a gun against me. This is a dangerous place. That kind of thing. Robert had a good suggestion, Robert Fripp. He said, hey, why don't you go take your Walkman tape recorder and walk around the street saying your phrases into it. That way you'll pick up the background noises and it will sound more like a real interview. And so it was a nice sunny day. So I set out walking through the neighborhood, practicing various ways of saying the phrases into the Walkman recorder. End quote. And what we hear is the product of what happened as Robert Fripp secretly recorded his experience after he got back to the recording studio. So he went out and actually had this really, really bizarre thing happen to him in the streets. And that bizarre thing that happened to him is what is recorded. He came back to the studio and he's like, guys, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And told and started talking about the story. And it's funny because... It, the the way the the spoken word kind of comes in like midway into the story and so robert fripp told the engineer to start recording it secretly so what we're hearing is the first account experience of what happened to adrian blue in the streets um while he was walking around with his tape recorder and um what what happened to him is i actually have a, a commentary from the band manager uh david singleton that we'll listen to right after the song is completed but it's a really, it's a really interesting story um, that we'll listen to. But before we'll let the song keep going, and we can just talk a little bit more about the the musical aspect of it. So what 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 about this song sticks out to you most, Drew? What about this sticks out most? Yeah, like what 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 makes well, I this? Love, uh, I love dialogue, and I love hearing this guy's. I mean, like right now, like right. Who's yeah. talking into that for? You're talking into that for? He said, "Play it for us." I said, oh, oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's it's and, and it that's said, what I, that's what I love about it. He held a gun in his hand. Oh, this is a dangerous place. Yeah, I love, I love listening it. to this. Yeah, what gun? What You're a gun? policeman. You get policeman. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so the in deeper short, I talk, the worse I got in. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So the the story of, of basically what happened he's walking around the streets and he's saying these phrases into the into the tape recorder and he gets he stumbles upon a gang and the gang what new york city right is in new york mm -hmm. city yeah okay yeah so about new york city dude, it's about crime in the okay. streets yeah have you have you have you noticed that like the crazy squealing guitar parts during this yes that was the other thing i was going to say that's what sticks out yes. to me about this song yeah. is not it's only so this dialogue which i love but in the background you've got these weird things in it yeah, Lots of world. really bizarre guitar what in tones world? in this song anyway, throughout the entire right. piece. Right, yeah. And so, uh, but anyway, so yeah, so he, he stumbles upon this gang, and the gang, it, he's got this tape recorder, and he's talking, he's saying these phrases like he has a gun in his hand. He held it against me, this is a dangerous place. And who he ran upon was this gang, this gang that was running a gambling 
um, gambling joint or something like that, and they thought that he was like a policeman. And so he, they, they come up to him, and they're like, hey, hey, what's what's that? What do you got on that tape? Like, they're getting real angry with him. And so he's he's trying to convince him. It's like, hey, no, look, I'm in this band. He had like he had a Talking right. Heads shirt on. Right. He, he said that in the in the uh, uh, I think he said that in the uh, the blog. But he's like he has a talking. He's like I'm in this band. We're making this recording, and they didn't believe him. So they like take the Walkman. They're playing it back and everything. And um, eventually they let him go. Right. I and he says was, he says that, which I love in there. In the phrase, and you'll hear in the background, he goes, "Finally, they just kind of let me go. I don't know why." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny. But what is what's uh, so genuine, and it, it, it literally is genuine, is because he was reciting that to his buddies in the studio, not knowing he was being recorded. So it's not like he was reciting it from a piece of paper that he wrote. This was just the first account of him right. coming back to the studio and being like, "Guys, what Which the I heck love. just yeah. happened?" And and then he says, "Yeah." So that's that's the story behind Thela Hujinji, um, the terrifying tale of right. Thela Hujinji. And I think. Heat in the jungle is also like heat. Also refers to cops, right? Like, where's the heat, I, I right? Think, or firearms? Yeah, yeah firearms, um, heat, it, it, and jungle, so which is a crime, great representation of crime right. in New York City. And jungle, yeah, is supposed to represent you know city. In, in this case, New right. York City. And I think that's what this song is is about. And I think that's it's a very very artistic way to present that. Yeah, um, yeah, and a very like yeah. yeah. They just they got lucky with like the way that they did. Yeah, and just. Right. Robert Fripp just happened to, you know, tell the engineer to record it. But um, let's listen to what uh, David Singleton, which is, like I said, the manager and producer of King Crimson, said about Thela Hujinji. Um, they released this in the 50th anniversary of King Crimson. They So they released some recordings from the archives. Um, and uh, if you go onto King Crimson's YouTube page, they have like, oh, my gosh, they have like 50 songs that have some commentary at the beginning of them. And so I stole this uh, from that. So let's listen. Let's listen to what he says about the song. Thela Hunjinjit is an anagrammistic title. The song is to do with urban violence, crime in the streets, being mugged. You know all those kind of useful social comments. Now, there's a line in which the singer has to act the part of a person who's been mugged. And Adrian went out into the studio and got in front of a microphone and was saying. He held a gun against my head. This is a dangerous place. I wouldn't like to live here. You know, which isn't awfully convincing. So I said to him, look, why don't you take this pocket cassette machine and walk around the block and get a bit more of a feel of what it's like to be on the street. So he went around the block, walking and talking into the machine. And as he walked around the corner, he said into the machine, this is a dangerous place. He held a gun against my head. I wouldn't like to live here and immediately got set on by a street gang. He said, hey man, hey man, what, what you got there? So suddenly, these two guys appear in front of me, stop real aggressive, start at me, you know. What, what's that? What's that on that tape? You know, what do you got there? I said, oh, it's a tape. What are you talking into that for, you know? I said, well, it's, it's just a tape, you know? And they said, well, play it for us. I said, oh, no. <laughs> Put them off as long as I could. Finally, they turned it on, you know. They, they grabbed it from me, took it away from me, turned it on, and it says, he held a gun in his hand. <laughs> this is a dangerous place. They said, what dangerous place? What gun? You're a policeman. The deeper I talk, the worse I got so yeah, so I, I love how they they isolated that out, and we can we can hear exactly what he's saying because it's yes. kind of varied a little bit. But yes. yeah, I, I I thought that was brilliant 
and uh, it's it's cool. It's a it's a fun little recount of that uh, of that experience that he had, which could have ended up really bad for him. Oh um, yeah, it, <laughs> like that's the thing is like, oh yeah, it was cool. Like that, it was a fun little story. It's like no, dude, this, this he could have been in like severe danger. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's the uh, that's kind of that's kind of the gist of Thela Hujinji. And uh, and if I can add like a small little note. Tony Levin on that song is so good. The choice, <laughs> the choice of notes, and is it's groovy, man. It's, it's super groovy, and uh, and even and even more. Uh, once again, some more polyrhythmic things happening. You know where Bruford's playing in four four, Fripp's playing in seven eight. You know they got all that, and, and even with indiscipline, the right. drums are playing in four four, and the guitar are playing in fifteen eight. I think fifteen eight. Like they they got all kinds of weird stuff and I mean I think that's just that's Fripp like Fripp that's just what he does, right? Um, but it still sounds groovy. I really like it. Most it does, of the stuff yeah. that they do, and you it, you can still enjoy and, what you're hearing. And that's the thing about Bruford that made it so brilliantly done with Fripp is like if without Bru- that's what Bruford did. See, Bruford made it groovy by keeping it in four four. See, if he didn't play in four four and he was following exactly what Fripp was doing. It would be a lot more complicated. The meters would be a lot more odd, and it would be harder mm-hmm. to follow. But and, yeah. and I love how Bruford, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I can do that too, kind of just humbled himself and played to the music and said, I'm going to play in 4-4 over this, keep it interesting, but also keep people attached and make it a little bit more familiar while Fripp goes and does his, you know, all of his crazy brain stuff and his right. Frippertronics and all of his, you know, all of his nutty material that he did. Right. No, so, for sure. And uh, uh, without Bruford, I think I don't. I don't know if this this album would be as popular as it is. No, I think I think I think you're right. Yeah. Um, all of these musicians, again, that's that's what's great about this record is that there's so much to dissect. But I don't. I, I don't think anyone overshadows the other. I any, I any one instrument overshadows the other. Yeah. Um, we are running low on time here. We yeah, have, we uh, are. We do have just one more song though, so I think I think we'll. Do okay, uh, cool. Well, hopefully everybody's that, enjoying this so far. And yeah, um, thanks, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks. I know we're going a little Whoa. bit over than what we normally do, but um, promise we have we got two more things we'll talk about. We'll talk about this maybe a little bit on the sheltering sky, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk a little bit about the album cover. Um, yeah, but uh, sheltering sky. <clears throat> um, goodness, man, this song is uh. <laughs> This song is. I think I I I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. It is a breather. I feel like I'm out in the desert. I feel like I'm out in the desert, traversing a desert landscape. I don't know why. What I feel like when I hear this. You know what the beginning of this sounds like? It sounds like, I don't know. For some reason, I was just listening to the beginning of that riff with those chords and stuff. It sounds like Andy Summers. It sounds like the beginning of like a police song. It does at first, and then these the you know. Yeah, the wailing guitar course, that's going on yeah. right now yeah, has a very definitely not Andy Summers, right? But it, I was gonna say it has a very Middle Eastern feel to it. Yeah, he may have done something. I I don't know enough of the theory to be able to know, but he may be playing something in a in a in a different mode, like an Eastern scale or yeah, something. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but this this song has it all with just the the progginess of it. Like, yeah, it does take a breather um, after all everything that's just happened. But the you know the drones and the dissonance, um, well, and the, the repetition, yes, of yeah. the bass of the blah blah blah, yeah, yeah, blah blah blah, and it's, yeah, 
It's strange. You know, one of the one of the things I wrote down as a note of this song is that I just I wrote down it has a thoughtful expression of space. Hmm. Like not not space is in like outer space. Right, um, but space in a song. Space maybe? in a song. Yeah, like gotcha. uh like openness and yes. um just kind of because it I think the lack of creates that sort of I mean you said desert, you know, and desert is very mm-hmm. barren and very open. A, lot, a lot of the time very open and can seem large at times. And I think yes. this song does a really good um, expression of that. And even though it gets even though it gets a little boring to me, I usually skip this song now after I've heard it enough. Um, I don't know. It right. kind of gets repetitive for, for, to me. Um, probably my least favorite on the album, mainly because of, well, it is the longest and the most repetitive. And it kind of keeps this same sort of chill vibe throughout the rest of the song. Right. You know, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it too. I, 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 yeah. But when I think of King Crimson, I don't think of this song. I love that. I understand. Love yeah, that. Sounds are so cool. What in the world? This, you know what this, I'm, I'm fairly convinced now that this song was just kind of like, guys, is just Fripp in the corner going, guys, can we write one more song, please? Because I still have a bunch more stuff I can do on this Frippertronics. Can we yeah. <laughs> please, please let me use it? And yeah, and then they're just like, okay, fine. Well, let's just come up with a little rhythm, and uh, I guess Fripp will just do his thing over there in the corner and we'll record it. <laughs> do, what do you What do you think the meaning is? Do, have you didn't? Do you know why it's called the sheltering sky? No, I didn't. I, I should have. I should have because that's a really interesting question. Is what the sheltering sky is supposed to to mean? Why they chose that? Because you know it's a lyricless track. It's yes. very interpretive. So, uh, interpretative. Uh, I have nothing. I, I mean, I'm think sheltering sky. I mean, may, maybe it's, I don't know. The, the first thing that I'm thinking of is like maybe the sky is a blanket to cover the earth and it's sheltering the earth or something. See, this is just so beautiful. What's going on right now is just, it's very pretty. Yeah. Little, little That's side beautiful. note. The, uh, that little like, kind of mallet instrument that you hear um it's yeah. like this square box looking thing i found some information about what bruford said it was um i found it on his website it is quote it is a toy quote version of an african log drum or a slit drum it has eight tines uh, or, or tongues and is made of california redwood it costs about 25 bucks in a hollywood tourist shop has a nice liquid quality with a semi-definite pitch. He said, uh, I bought two or three about 20 years ago and just decided I was <laughs> just decided to use it on this to fit the mood. Yeah. Huh. That was pretty cool. It's he very did, relaxing. He uses it I, live I, too. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful We're just kind of listening to it. I don't know. We're just kind of getting lost in it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, do you want to go into the album cover? Yeah, let's talk the about the album cover because then, then we'll wrap it up and uh, and let everybody listen to the final track, Discipline. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you have you have more information uh, about this. Um, and uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll let you sort of take it away with what, what the album cover means and um, maybe some history behind it. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I thought you wanted oh, to I, introduce okay. it. I can introduce it. You... Well, yeah, yeah. I can, I'll introduce <laughs> where it came from. So um, our, our good friend, um, guitarist, as well as a guest on our show, he was with us in episode 15 when we did Moving Pictures by Rush. Um, he's the guitarist in uh, Drew Nice Band. Uh, Eric Besner um, wrote this, um, I guess, uh, a media analysis, wrote an analysis on the album artwork of Discipline. And uh, I, I remember I asked him for it because I just remembered he sent it to me a long time ago. And so I reached out to him and asked him if he could, if we could use it in the show. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So Drew has the, uh, you have the, um, the text of what he wrote, uh, which is a really cool, deep analysis of uh, where Celtic Knot and yeah, the Red and everything yeah. came from. So I'll come with you. Right, it's a, a short little entry he did, I think, for a um, for a college. Oh, assignment. was it really college? Okay, I didn't know um, that. yeah, I think so. Thanks, Ben, for um, letting us use this. By he the way, said, "Yes, thanks, thanks, Bez. Um I Why did I say that so you weird? Can continue. I don't know. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> he says, "Back in 2013, my band and I starting off to a great start. My band and I started writing original songs." We had been listening to our own favorite bands for years, and we were now ready to take on the challenge of writing our own original material. I was driving back home from band rehearsal one evening, and as I love doing, I put on Pandora Radio to gain some inspiration. Then it came on, frame by frame, played by King Crimson on their eighth studio album, Discipline. I remember going home to look up the song and seeing the album cover for the first time. The artwork for the cover is totally red with what looks like a Celtic knot. It was original, yet looked so familiar. Looking back now, years after that evening, I can now look deeper into the meaning of the album artwork of King Crimson's Discipline. This artwork was created by Steve Ball in 1981. Steve Ball had mentioned that this design was inspired by the book Celtic Art, The Methods of Construction by George Bain. Celtic knots represent a large array of meanings. According to an article found on ancientsymbols.com, these knots are used in decorating church monuments and manuscripts such as the Book of Kells and Lindisfarne Gospels. The interwoven knots first showed up in the Roman Empire during the 3rd and 4th hmm. centuries AD. The Celts were a polytheistic group, group who believed in the afterlife. Uh, Celtic culture often took forms of various braids, spirals, and knots which represent meanings such as eternal life, love, harmony, friendship, and protection. The most common Celtic knot is the Trinity knot. This knot represents the Holy Trinity and eternal life. It's a three-sided knot, which also represents forces of nature such as earth, wind, and fire. Other Celtic knots include the Celtic spiral knot, Celtic love knots, Celtic sailor's knot, Celtic shield knot, and Solomon's knot. King Crimson's guitarist, Robert Fripp, was influenced by Celtic philosophies at the time of recording Discipline. Then Steve Ball created this Celtic-inspired knot to represent those philosophies. The backside of the album has the following phrase printed. Discipline is never an end in itself, only a means to an end. To me, this means that to achieve your goals, you must be disciplined to make those goals a reality. Mm. By applying the Celtic knot, which to me looks like a love knot from the intricate weavings, it may indicate that discipline lasts the rest of your life. You can't just be disciplined once, then never again. You must stick to it and never give up. And that's what he wrote. So, yeah, that's thank great. You guys. And I... I agree with the the phrase that's on that's on the album. Um, say say it one more time if you can. Discipline is <clears throat> never an end in itself, only a means to an end. Yeah, 
I love that, and I, and I agree. Which I agree. It's a it's with that. I, or I agree with his interpret with Bez's interpretation of what that says. I, right. I think that's great. But discipline is is a it's a, it's a it's obviously a trait. It's a tool that you use obviously to achieve other goals. But you don't you don't work and work. Let's say you need to dig a ditch, right? Well, someone has that that shovel that uh, you can dig that ditch with, but uh, you're not going to work just to get the shovel, you're going to use that shovel for future things yeah. to dig your ditches. Maybe that's a really horrible I mean, metaphor, hey, but, digging a ditch, uh, man. or analogy, but, um, that's incredible. but I guess the point is, yeah, it's, it's a tool that you can use and you should use throughout yeah. your entire life. Not just trying to attain that once and just yeah. saying that. And, 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 and you know, with King Crimson, the, they've, have used it. It's it, and the reason why we're talking about it is because it's uh, been used um, a lot more than just on this record, uh, Fripp's label, uh, DGM, the logo of DGM is the uh, the Celtic Knot, as well as um, I think they uh, have used it as a band logo very frequently as well. So this this pops up around in in King Crimson's catalog and and a lot of their stuff, uh, which which so we wanted to talk a little bit about it, and and since we had the history on it and on the Celtic Knots and how it how it is created and stuff like that we we thought it was worth mentioning so right that's great that's great thank you bez um so let's go ahead let's go ahead and wrap this thing up unless we have anything else that we want to go through i don't think we do that no, we just went through the entire album no. except for discipline which we're going to let everybody listen to it's an it's another instrumental track it's awesome but we would like to thank you guys very much for listening to our podcast. Sorry we went over a little bit on time, but these are our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode, please, please subscribe and share the episode. Drew, what will our next episode entail? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll end on a, a bit of a sad note here. Uh, yeah. A lot of you may know if you're in the prog community and even if you're just in the rock community or you know anything about drumming, uh, Neil Peart uh, passed away on Tuesday and I believe that was January 7th, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Uh, they released the information on Friday. Um, I, I remember getting this news. My, you know, We'll go into this next episode because uh, we're going to do a tribute to him. That's, yes. that's what, um, that's we what we're going to do for next episode. Yeah, um, we, thought, we thought it would be best if we paused all the episodes that we were doing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we, we got we to do an episode on Neil, so we're, and, which will be really, really fun for us. But we will be going through his... Uh, his lyrics. We'll be dissecting his drumming a little bit, uh, what he brought to the progressive rock world, the rock world from a lyricist standpoint, drummer standpoint, everything he did. We're going to give a massive tribute episode to the one and only Neil Peart. Yeah. Um, to them. Yeah. I, I, I got the news uh, from my wife and I was at work and it it really hit hard. It's upsetting. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a big loss for, yeah. for I'm, a lot of people. I'm glad that nothing happened to him while they were on tour. Um, I'm, right. I'm glad that he actually had some time to rest and retire right. um, before, right. before something like that Which makes sense why they, they permanently closed the book. They probably got that news yeah. And, yeah. and said, hey, look, this is it. Like we've already scheduled some dates, but this is it. You know, you need to rest. Yeah. 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 So, um, um, passed away of brain cancer, age 67, which is just it. That's it's too young, in in my opinion. I mean, I know that's like 67 is getting up there, but I mean, well, Paul McCartney's I, like freaking 79, right. 85, well, 100 years old. So he's very, he's, he's, it's very rare though. In the realm of rock, it's, it's surprising that, uh, 
I mean, you know, in the realm of rock, he lived a long time because a he lot did. of rock legends, you know, pass away very early. I mean, Paul McCartney's an anomaly. I don't know how that guy is still I, what in the doing. world. Um, but, you know, for a lot of, guys, you know, rock legends, they're, uh, you know, they passed away early. You know, yeah. it's just the lifestyle that they had. But anyways, yeah, we'll talk more about that but next either way, time. Yeah, we will, we will talk about that next episode. We're also going to be taking a little bit of a longer break because uh, I will be getting married Saturday. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Um, so we're, we'll, we'll come back in the middle of February um, to come back with our tribute to Neil. But episode 22, so we're going to be doing this next episode on Neil. Episode 22 is going to be voted on by everybody listening. So we've chosen three albums by three American prog bands. We've chosen five by Spock's Beard, Images and Words by Dream Theater, and Deloused in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. Let us know which one you would want us to listen to. So you can cast your vote on Instagram to us at prog underscore notes. You can make a comment on this episode's video. Um, you can also send us a direct message. You can also email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com. Let us know which album you would like to hear. Five by Spock's Beard, Images and Words by Dream Theater, and Delouse in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. Uh, we also appreciate all feedback and your comments on the show. Please leave us a review if you liked or disliked the show. So join us next time as we discover the past present and future of prog rock we will end this episode of course with the title track and final song on the album discipline and as always thanks for listening